Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father Paul Koska and Brother Peter Xavier as they share about the Kenya Hospital Formation Exercise. To learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I am Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants of Christ Jesus, and today I am fortunate to again be joined by Father Paul Koska and Brother Peter Xavier. Welcome back, you guys. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Uh, Brother Peter, do you want to explain or just say really quickly what we're talking about today? Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So, as part of the Servants of Christ Jesus, we have eight, eight formation exercises. Six. How many do we have? It's somewhere between six and eight. Between six and eight. There we go. And um, the one that we're talking about today is the hospital immersion after the original Society of Jesus. So, two of the members will be sent to a hospital somewhere in the world and help out in whatever way they can for 30 days. All right. And today we're talking about you and Brother Thomas's hospital experience in Kenya. And obviously there's a lot to talk about, but I think we should start off just with a bit of information about how this fits into, like you said, the broader spectrum of formation experiences or formation exercises. Father Paul, can you start us off by talking about the origins and the purpose of the hospital exercise in the Servants of Christ Jesus? So like... uh Pretty much all of the formation experiences that are our major ones that we do, there's an inspiration from the uh, original uh, founders of the society. And so in this particular case, one of the things that the original founders did, often when they would go to a particular city, would they would be attentive to going and visiting the hospitals in that particular town. Now, these weren't, you know, modern day, like organized big hospitals with attending physicians and nurses and things, but it was basically a place for people who were dying, who were abandoned or uh, places where people were sick, where they were without anybody else to care for them. And so it was sort of the precursor to what is a modern day, like organized hospital with doctors and things. And so they would be doing really humble tasks. there, helping to, uh, helping to take care of the patients, you know, and cleaning their rooms, taking care of their the wounds on their body, whatever it might be. So really attentive to the needs of these people who are suffering. They're basically homes or institutions for people who are suffering. And so that was the origin and the society of it. And then we wanting to imitate uh, the original founders, including St. Ignatius, we desired to do something similar. And so as part of our formation, we had it as an intention to do this hospital immersion. What Father John and I did as the first people to do the hospital immersion was to serve um, with the Carmelite sisters out in Los Angeles and East Los Angeles. And they basically have, they had a hospital, became like a skilled nursing complex. And so that was our initial immersion into uh, the hospital experience. So that was like in 2006, 2007, just a few years after the founding of the community. Okay, and so the purpose, because I mean, obviously, like you're a priest and you guys are religious. Just to be clear, it sounds like the purpose is not necessarily hospital chaplaincy, although I'm sure that there's some kind of element of that. But 
but the purpose is specifically just serving the needs of of those who are who are in the hospital is that correct yeah so the original jesuits would have just primarily been focused on helping these people and their material bodily needs so they would be like cleaning their rooms they'd be bandaging their wounds they'd be giving people baths you know like just humble Mm -hmm. whatever way they can to help them that was kind of the initial inspiration what we found when we went to do the carmelite experience was that it was an awesome and beautiful experience but we we're pretty limited on in terms of like the hands-on yeah. material assistance because of being in the United States and all the regulation and everything that exists here. It really limited our ability to to do some of the things that this society, the yeah. guy, the original founders did. Yeah, because now you pretty much have to be a trained medical person in the United States to to minister medically to people. And even like the people who change beds in mm. nursing homes are like certified nursing assistants. So oh, okay. like not just the nur- what we would normally think of as like nurses and doctors, but even these other like other things that are less medically intensive in the United States, they're, they're like certified physicians. So you can't even like change somebody's sheets for them, you know, without mm. having some sort of training and <laughs> all of that. Interesting. wonder what that training is like. All right, so it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like that's the the impetus for why you guys then wound up in Kenya. Yeah, so a, a few things I would say. Um, one is that I loved the experience of being with the Carmelites. One of the beautiful things about being with the Carmelites is the fact that the campus where the skilled nursing facility is, like they have a convent, and so we were, you know, we were able to experience. Uh, wholly religious and to be able to interact with them. And that's been one of the great benefits of a number of the different experiences we've had, even like teaching a match buff, we've had the blessing of having the Nashville Dominicans on the same campus. And so we really value the ability uh, to be able to serve alongside other religious communities and have religious communities that have existed for longer than us positively, you know, influence us. And so the Carmelite, uh, experience was great. I guess what I found for myself personally, and as we were looking at doing uh, the hospital immersion for the next, you know, guys in formation, was just like the desire to imitate the original members of the society and sort of the concreteness of helping people in a you know tangible, tactile way. And so that was the original impetus for looking at the third world so my initial you know just looking around was i was hoping to find some hospital somewhere in the third world where people spoke english um and so that led me to like search in the philippines which is in the third world but has predominant english speaking and kenya was another one of those places and so i found kenya Basically, I searched for, I was looking at, you know, where is there places where it's a, there'd be a Catholic hospital where English would be spoken, even if there's other languages spoken in country. Mm-hmm. And so I literally went onto Google Maps <laughs> and like searched for Catholic hospital Kenya. Mm-hmm. And this particular hospital, North Kenangak Hospital, came up. I clicked on their website. I looked a little bit and then I contacted the, 
director of the hospital who is a, a priest from Padua, Italy. And so I grew up in St. Anthony of Padua. So I was like, oh, this is cool. He's from Padua and might as well see it, what's possible. What did he think? Did he think you were crazy? Was he warm to the idea? Yeah. So they had had uh, Italian guests do- like doctors come from Italy to do uh, like specialist doctors to come do uh, procedures that they can't do mm-hmm. or they didn't have the the specialist in their hospital to be able to do and so they're used to having guests from outside of kenya guest but, doctors guest but they doctors were guest <laughs> doctors and so his whole questioning to me initially was like well what medical background or training do you have you know because yeah. that's really the exclusive nature of the guests that they had had is they have residents and these doctors that come in do like a week worth of procedures, then leave, and then another yeah. resident comes, and an, then another doctor comes. So it's like a setup system that they have, and we were not like <laughs> part of that system. And so he was just confused initially. I think like why mm-hmm. why we'd want to come if we didn't have if we weren't doctors, we weren't nurses, that kind of thing with this particular specialty yeah. to be able to contribute. And so once it became clear, like we're just Americans that who are religious that want to be able to help and serve like he was open to it but you know it was really it wasn't entirely clear before we got there like <laughs> how is this all going to work yeah, you know yeah. and uh <laughs> and so so i knew that it was a hospital i knew that they had accommodations for us mm-hmm. and that he was open to us but like all the specifics of how everything was going to work was like not abundantly clear before we arrived Mm -hmm. and um and so yeah yeah also brother thomas and i didn't know any of this we were just told (laughs) we were going to kenya to work in a hospital so we were excited and then when we landed in kenya they forgot we were coming well he he forgot we were coming that day it wasn't like (laughs) okay uh, it was like they weren't (laughs) expecting us to come at all like he just forgot that we were landing that night minor detail yeah yeah. (laughs) now brother peter how did you find out you were going to Kenya? Did I mean, was this a surprise? Was it out of the blue? And when did you find out? So uh, Father John and I were helping out at a life teen retreat. I think it was John 15 or um, or something. And there was a uh, a man that was curious about our community. And he wanted to find out more information. He had reached out a couple times. So we invited him and his father over to Hidden Lake for a meal with us. And so I, I don't remember if I cooked or Father John cooked or what it was, but we made the meal and we're sitting there, we're having lighthearted conversation and the dad starts asking questions about the community, right? And asking what we do, what makes us unique. And Father John here is like, well, what makes us unique, you know? And so he, I guess he, his mind is immediately triggered to Brother Peter's formation exercises. So um, he says, Brother Peter doesn't know this, but, and he looks at me and goes, don't freak out. And I was like, okay, well, immediately you say that, I'm gonna start freaking out. I don't even know what you're talking about. He says, but Brother Peter's going to Africa this summer, actually in like five months or something like that to work in a hospital. He has no idea about this. And so I'm sitting in front of this 19-year-old kid and this dad who I just met and I find out I'm going to Africa to work in a hospital for a month. And yeah, so it was very alarming. Didn't know anything. Now, uh, to talk a little bit about the hospital, who was this hospital for? Was it a specialized hospital? Was it just like a small local hospital that dealt with everything? Who specific, Who are the patients at the hospital? North Kenangap is uh, an area of of Kenya that's 
outside of Nairobi by about two hours or so. And so it's, it's pretty rural. And so the story that we had been told was that basically after the British left Kenya and uh, in independence in like the 1960s, uh, the Kenyan government reached out to uh, Catholic religious communities and, and asked if anybody like, could help to start a hospital in this area that used to be a British area. And so uh, a, a Catholic priest from Padua, central Italy, uh, helped to start a hospital in this rural part that didn't have access to any hospital stuff anywhere reasonably close. And so basically, yeah, the hospital began and uh, different priests over the years have been assigned there. But it's basically a general hospital for this uh, area. It's not like a hospital... For example, you know, if you've been to like, if you live in Denver and you've been to the university hospital and it's like this multi-story, you know, gigantic complex, or it's not like the Texas Medical Center, you know, in in Houston where there's, it's single story buildings. It's not a huge, you know, massive first world complex, but it does have all the sort of departments that you would normally have Mm -hmm. in like an American hospital. So they had... A surgery area they had a pediatric area they had a uh an area for labor and delivery and so all those sort of departments that we would think of in american hospital was there but a smaller rural hospital and uh yeah so and who staffs it is it priests is it nuns is it just lay doctors so we actually didn't know when we were going there we just knew that there was an italian priest that was running it um and so we showed up at the facility and immediately see all these sisters walking around and find out that there's a whole congregation that lives on the, I guess you could call it like a compound or whatever. And right down the street is their formation house. And so I think they're called the little daughters of St. Joseph. Is that right? Um, Or the little sisters of St. Joseph, one or the other. And so these sisters, they kind of like run the operations. They're like the bigger roles. Like one of them runs all the finances for um, the hospital. And then the other ones are like the head nurses. But then there's also outside, like Father Paul already talked about doctors from um, Italy, but also local doctors, local nurses. And we also found out when we showed up, there is a nursing school on the complex as well. So there's probably 30 to 40, um, 20 to 30 year olds studying nursing there and practicing there. So we got to learn from them. Now, can you tell me, Brother Peter, what an average day looked like while you guys were there? How did you guys serve at the hospital? What did that look like? So the average day for any service in Christ Jesus, we wake up at, I think we woke up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock every morning to do our holy hour, um, fulfilled our prayers while we were there. And then uh, they gave brother, Father Paul and I, um, blue scrubs to wear when we were actually in the compound. And I think every morning I got assigned to um, the adult wing. I don't, do you remember what it was called? The adult wing. So... Um, what we would do there is, so I, I mentioned that there is, there's a nursing school on the facility. So all of these students, when they were outside of class, they had hours that they had to put in um, at the actual hospital in order to train and practice and stuff. And so they paired us up with just a nurse that was studying themselves, which was awesome because they were like, so are you going to be a doctor or like, <laughs> you know, a nurse when you go back to America? And I was like, no, I'm going to be a priest, you know? <laughs> so every single morning we would, brother would go on one side of the wing and I would go on the other side of the wing with a nurse and we would just make the rounds of bathing all the patients, clothing all the patients, changing their beds. If there was 
any anything that like happened in the night that like made like the facility messy we had to like clean that and then so that would probably take about an hour to two hours for all of the patients and then we would help the head nurse administer medication and so she would give us like pills to give out and then once we were there for probably about two or two and a half weeks she trusted us enough and she was giving us like shots hmm. to like give to the patients hmm. which would never be allowed in the united states <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, yeah um so i mean honestly anything that you could think of that you would do in a hospital we got to do I mean, we were also like mopping floors and doing things like that we were carrying patients from one place to another um there were several occasions where um, a patient had passed away and so somebody has to take care um, of the body when it passes and so we would take the body from the facility to the morgue that was probably about like i don't know it was just down probably mm-hmm. like half a mile away and not even that um yeah and when you're in a hospital any nurse knows you don't know what's going to happen that day mm-hmm. i mean it's just the same like in america you have no idea who's going to come in what's going to happen so you're kind of just up to yeah i guess providence and whatever it brings but every single time in the afternoon every day uh we would always go to the pediatric ward and play with the kids which was a mm-hmm. lot of fun and i think probably by the after the first week brother thomas and i started teaching them like little prayers and stuff in English and everything. So we would That's pray cool. with them every single time we were there, go outside and play soccer with them, just little things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was important to, to do that and just to be present to people because at least my experience of visiting hospitals in the United States, like people who are in the hospital generally have like another family member with them and like a, a kid who here in the United States, you know, would most likely have one of their parents would be, present with them in the hospital most of the time mm-hmm. but there were young people that were in the pediatric ward at this hospital where we were there and never saw hmm. like anybody yeah. from their family the entire time that we were there and they were uh, in the hospital for a long period of time and so our ability to be present to those kids was like more than just like oh we enjoy playing you know sports with them even yeah. though we did enjoy that but it was actually like a real ministry to be able to spend time with them because they didn't have they had people coming by to make sure they were taken care of and they were Mm -hmm. but but there was a real gift in that and was that do you think in the average case just because mom and dad are far away taking care of things at home i mean we're kind of spoiled in the united states we have hospitals everywhere they're nearby you know they're not a huge disruption to your life to go to is that is that the reason why there were a lot of kids by themselves? Yeah, I think there's that. There's, you know, these families probably had, the parents had somebody who was working plus somebody who was taking care of kids at home. Mm-hmm. The other thing was we didn't see a huge number of people like driving mm-hmm. their own personal cars they onto the everywhere. hospital property. Yeah. People were walking or they were taking taxis, but... You know, so like the idea of me going back and forth from, you know, yeah. a hospital here in Denver and going to check on my kid. Yeah. It's much more of an operation, you know, for a parent to come and visit their yeah. kid at the hospital. Now, how else, aside from that, did you guys minister to their spiritual needs? You know, we've talked about kind of physical needs. How did you minister to spiritual needs of the patients? Every night, um, or at least most nights we got to uh, bring the Eucharist around Mm -hmm. to all the different patients that were Catholic and different things. So one, it's a gift to be able to 
um, give the blessed sacrament to somebody who's faithful. But also when we have like this concept of like a hospital room in our mind, we have a very like American concept of like what a hospital room looks like. And it's just, it's just so different of how, like how many people are in each room. So whenever we're bringing Jesus to somebody who's laying in bed, there's three other people who like may be unbelievers. Mm-hmm. who are like watching this person receive Jesus by a priest and a brother who's praying the rosary or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just like a cool opportunity. One instance comes to my mind where there was a local elementary school right down the street that we would sometimes go down there and do some relational ministry, um, do some preaching. Uh, for the elementary school and the middle school students. And one day they came onto the hospital property for mass, Father Paul celebrating mass, and probably 200 to 300 students were there with teachers and different things. And I'm, Brother Thomas and I are sitting in the back corner, you know, with some of the students. And Father Paul's in the middle of his homily. And he says, and at the end of mass today, Brother Peter's going to give his testimony of how he was called to be a priest. <laughs> and I had no clue i would no testimony prepared whatsoever uh, but it was a great opportunity to just be like okay here we go now we're gonna preach the gospel you know mm-hmm. um and <laughs> it was probably a distracted post-communion prayer of like trying to organize my thoughts and everything you know but it went beautifully and so like i mean like i said anything that we could have done we could have expected the lord provided for us like on this hospital immersion it was really crazy that we could preach, we could teach, we could do direction and like have conversations with people because they actually spoke English and things like that. So um, I thought there was plenty of opportunities. I don't know if you remember more, Father. As a a priest, you know, I was able to help give uh, the Italian priest who is the, basically like the CEO of the hospital, give him a bit of a break. So I get to uh, preach a number of times. I would like uh, Brother Peter was saying, I was able to help distribute communion to the sick, do anointings, uh, and there were baptisms. Uh, so one of the things that, that happened was there was a NICU at the hospital that they had were taking care of six to ten premature babies at once. And so uh, there was a number of babies that we were able to, I was able to baptize or, you know, encourage like, the attending nurses like if this baby starts you know mm-hmm. passing away during the night you know you can feel free to baptize them and so so we got to support them in that way and so there was a number of yeah opportunities and i also had the ability to give a day of recollection at the novitiate for the sisters that ran the hospitals so there's there's an abundance of opportunities now i'm sensing a uh surprise brother peter theme in your guys's community is is that a thing is that like hey let's <laughs> drop this bomb on brother peter real fast you know it's kind of fun honestly father john <laughs> started this thing recently um within the past year or two where he'll call me into his office or wherever and he won't say anything he'll just hand me a white envelope hmm. and i'm like all right here we go <laughs> i have absolutely this could be a weekend <laughs> retreat or it's like i'm going to kenya you know <laughs> Um, also now I know if we're ever like at a family dinner at a table and somebody asks what the servants are doing this summer, I like heads up, like listen, because father John might drop something <laughs> like what your formation is going to be. But yeah, but I mean, there's this freedom in just being obedient to whatever you ask. So it's nice. kind of fun actually. Now, how were you guys received by the patients at this, ho- this hospital? How did they respond to you guys? Yeah, I found them to be very receptive. I mean, a lot of them, you know, were were interested in the United States, had family members, you know, who, who were over in the United States, but a lot of them had never been, 
uh, to America themselves. I think they were also surprised that Americans came out of their way uh, to help serve, you know, because they had been used to having Italians come and visit their hospital for many years. But I think it was surprising to them because we were the... I think we were the first Americans that had ever volunteered there as far as I could tell. And so, so I think they appreciated that, you know, we're also, at least the other two guys were pretty young, you know? So like the Italian doctors, you know, are all like certified MDs. So they're, you know, in their thirties, mid thirties, at least if not older. And so I think, you know, we were able to bring a youthfulness of spirit, you know, to, to the hospital. Yeah. And one, uh, I think probably one of the greatest graces for brother and I, at least, was it within the the pediatric ward. There was a little girl named Margaret, and I think she kind of sums up how welcoming the people of Kenya were. Because I was very surprised of like, I don't know how like frequently they would meet somebody from America, what their perceptions of people are from America and stuff. And we're religious who take vows of poverty. We don't really meet the ideal American standard. At least we try not to, you know. Mm-hmm. And this little girl, she was, I think, six or eight years old. And when we met her, she had all of these pins sticking into her right leg um, because her leg was so severely broken and deformed. They had to stick, like, do many surgeries and stick all these pins so she would be able to walk again. And when we first got there, she was very cold. She was very turned off to us, very hardened. And brother and I and Father Paul, too, we would, you know, we'd try to joke with her. We'd, like, wheel her around. She had, like, a a bed wheelchair it was like a recliner with bicycle wheels on it. It was mm-hmm. so cool. So we wheel around the hospital trying to go really fast, you know, get her all excited. And um, slowly by slowly, as the week went on, or I guess the, the month really went on, she, she would start speaking. Hmm. She would start asking questions. Then she started remembering our names. Every time we, we would walk into the pediatric mar- ward and we would just start yelling, Margaret, Margaret, Margaret. And you would hear her just start laughing <laughs> like immediately. It was awesome. And I think the last week we were there, we talked to Sister Consolata, who's the head nurse, and she shared with us that Margaret has been in and out of the hospital because of neglect, mm. um, that her father severely physically abuses her. Mm. And um, when every time she comes, she is severely malnourished and incredibly injured. If you saw her leg was so deformed, I was like, I don't know how they're going to be able to get this thing straight again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this little girl, I mean, seven years old, however old she was, and throughout the weeks sister consolata gave testimony since y'all got here she started eating she started talking to the other kids she started laughing Mm. she is more joyful and she stops crying like she would not eat she would just sit in her bed and cry before we got there and it was beautiful one as like a religious brother because you know i'm not necessarily a father right Mm. like i'm not i'm 23 years old i'm not people don't call me father people call me brother but this little girl um Slowly throughout the weeks, who had such a broken relationship with her father, the Lord really used me, Father Paul, and Brother Thomas to father her specifically. She, the Lord brought her three men who were strong and wanted to love her in a, a purity of heart that this little child had not experienced before mm. to where she was afraid of men. Mm. And it was just so cool to see the transformation that the Lord can do in a month. Yeah. And there was def- there's multiple cases with people like that because they would be there for a long period of time. So we'd have habitual interaction with them. So mm. I, I love the people and I think they loved us yeah. very much. So Now to tail off on that story, so much of Christ's interactions with people and the scriptures involved physical healings or 
dealing with physical ailments. Did the scriptures and did those specific scriptures of Christ's healing come alive or even just Christ's interactions with with those who are suffering physical ailments, did, did they come more alive for you because of this exercise? You know, do you do you think about those scriptures differently now? I don't know if one about like I don't know if I see like literal healings that Christ does differently. One thing that the Lord definitely did though, and I can bring it back to Margaret, I think it's in the Gospel of John, Jesus the Good Shepherd. I remember at the end of my month there, I was kind of like mourning of like we've like we love this girl like so much and she loves us. And we pray with her, like sit on her bed and just like talk with her for like an hour, you know, like every night. And um, I was like kind of just like expressing to the Lord of like my sadness and having to leave her behind and knowing like where she's coming from, like is she gonna be taken care of? And the Lord was like, she's my sheep. She's my sheep, she's not yours. I've, I've entrusted her to you for some time, but like just receive the gift, don't cling to it and recognize like this is just like a temporary thing and that's okay. But like, so Jesus, the good shepherd, that kind of mindset changed for me of the Lord, especially like when we're doing public ministry and stuff, we go somewhere for a weekend and it's like the Lord has given me these sheep for three days, you know? So not necessarily a physical healing kind of thing, but I think um, the context of entering into Jesus's shepherding in a temporal sense um, kind of took on a new light for me. So, Yeah, and I think for me, the uh, the experience at the of with the babies uh, at the NICU, you know, made me reappreciate Jesus's, like Jesus becoming flesh, Jesus becoming incarnate and becoming a baby, you know, because our normal like day-to-day ministry of working at DU or at Bishop Matchbuff, we don't get to deal with babies, <laughs> We're you know, not holding babies. <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, families will come over for dinner and we'll be able to hold babies then. But, but this was like, you know, to see both uh, the humble simplicity of like being a small child, but also, but also seeing like suffering, like seeing these premature babies who uh, were not getting the same level of care they would have gotten in the United States because, you know, the hospital didn't have all the, you know, super advanced equipment that we would have in a, in a U.S. hospital. So even just like the level of suffering, uh, that it made me appreciate Jesus's work of healing because Jesus was healing people who didn't have another, there was no other way. Like if Jesus didn't heal them, there wasn't another path or Avenue of healing. And, and I think, you know, with being in the United States and advanced so much advanced medication and, and interventions that we have here, we just kind of take it for granted. Like, I, oh, I go to the hospital, and even if I have some like really obscure, crazy condition, mm-hmm. somebody's going to be able to help me. Mm-hmm. You know, there they didn't have every specialist, you know, widely available. And if they if they were available, they might be like all the way in Nairobi, and mm-hmm. the family probably couldn't afford to even get to Nairobi, much less like pay the hospital fees that would be there. And so, like healing happening and so both seeing the value of the healing that jesus did but also the the suffering of of jesus's little ones i have one more too um and i just remember this now of uh because of the nicu there was one day father i think you were the one who came to grab me 
you're like you need to I, right when we got to the hospital they asked all of us what do you want to do and I was like I want to spend some time in the NICU and like I want to like help with the babies and stuff like hold the babies we never get to do like Father Paul said um, so the sisters were always like trying to like bring me into the NICU it was awesome and Father Paul came and was like you need to come there's a baby that needs to be held so I was like okay we're running over there and we find out so this was like has kind of made Isaiah 49 a little bit more real where it talks about even if a mother forgets his child neither so I will not forget you is what the Lord prophesies through Isaiah and this baby was literally born and like two or three nights later the mom just got up and left in the middle of the night left the baby at the hospital and no one knew where she was her husband worked at the hospital and he didn't even know where she was so it was like this huge situation that everyone was like trying to figure out and I won't even go into what ended up happening, but it was crazy. And I remember just like holding this little premature baby and that scripture like comes to mind, right? And um, there's just like this beautiful moment of praying for this child that can't pray for itself yet. And like knowing like the father is like, it, this child is the father's beloved and like being able to like care and like take care of them in this moment, even though the mo mother like literally <laughs> abandoned and left the baby. That was just like a really profound and beautiful moment. So I guess that verse kind of became real for me too. All right. Well, before we close, I am wondering just what was the most impactful experience that you had from your hospital formation exercise? I would say one of the most profound um, experiences was something I, I don't know that I was necessarily expecting to be, but we got to, I was advocating for a while, like, hey, we want to like see some surgeries, you know, because again, it's one of the things the United States like wouldn't necessarily be able to do is to mm -hmm. actually be in the operating room. And so we got to be in, in the operating room uh, with some of the Italian doctors who were doing uh, a surgery for a diabetic woman who uh, was like basically part of her body. The tissue in her leg was mm -hmm. was degenerating or whatever, and um, and so just seeing like seeing the intensity of it and like the the fact that I I I was kind of you know shocked by what they were doing, like how much they were cutting away um and and so i asked the doctor afterwards like you know why did you take out so much and he, and he basically said like if you don't remove like the bad tissue like then like her whole body like her whole leg could potentially be lost so like unless i do what i was doing like i can't actually bring about a further healing without the removal of this you know bad tissue and I think it just stuck out to me like, you know, we talk about the importance of like repentance and forgiveness of sin. And there, there is this connection that, you know, after that yeah. surgery experience that maybe just realize like I need to be serious in my own life about getting rid of those, hmm. the, that evil, the, the sin in my life because the Lord wants to remove it so that I can be restored and healthy and everything. And so I think that was a, unexpected in addition to the like you know babies that we already talked about uh was just yeah some profound experiences especially during being able to sit in on surgeries and things i was kind of like expecting this but i didn't 
I don't think I realized the full scale of it until like it was actually happening of we're going to a hospital. I'm obviously going to see, I mean, it was part of the joke going into Kenya is like, brother Peter's going to have to deliver a child, you know? <laughs> and so I was a little nervous. <laughs> I was trying <laughs> to facilitate that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was wild, which I did not deliver a child, but I did get to see both a cesarean section and a live delivery. Um, but there was like this full cycle that we got to see like while we were there of like first breath in the world, but also like last breath in the world. Uh And we were kind of talking about this yesterday with um, just sickness and things of the reality of death and how foreign that is to most Americans, to most people today. Because I mean, for me, I grew up in a suburb of Houston. I grew up in Cyprus. And so we're not in a rural setting whatsoever. And I think the first death that had happened in our family was when I was like four or five. And then the next one that didn't happen that the next funeral that I went to was my grandfather, which was last year, you know? And so there, there was this great distancing, this great separation from the reality of death. And here we are in Kenya and these people are like having, somebody has like typhoid, somebody's like having a heart attack, somebody's having a stroke. People are in the ICU. I mean, there's just like sickness everywhere. There is in a reality, like there's death everywhere. And I already mentioned like we were having to um, wheel bodies into the morgue and things. Mm-hmm. And I remember two, two different things. One, one time when we were, I think just, we were either dressing somebody's bed sores or bathing a patient. John 21 came to mind where Jesus is speaking to Peter mm-hmm. um, and he's speaking to him of like, you will be led, you know, like to your death in a way that you don't want to go. And that, that verse came to my mind of like the reality of death in the sense of, people get old and like people die and there's like people i i can't imagine how embarrassing it is you know to be bathed by somebody else when you're it's it's one thing when you're one month old but now you're 90 years old and you can't take care of yourself and there's this great humility that's there that for some reason the lord wills at the end of many people's lives and so that was striking me of like the the pain that are in some of these deaths but there was also another time where we were bathing one woman and I was with a nurse and we literally were just doing what we always do. We like, you know, we were just yeah doing the normal procedure. And I look at the nurse and I was like, is she breathing? Hmm. And she said, let me check. And she's like checking for a pulse. She opens up her eyes and she just runs out of the room and yells, doctor, doctor, doctor. Doctors run in, they check her eyes. And apparently they were so dilated that like they couldn't resuscitate her. And like literally seconds, this woman died in my arms as like I'm holding her, we're bathing her. And it also showed like there's sometimes like the long drawn out death, but there's also like the quick death mm. and just like the reality of like, am I preparing for this? Mm. Have I thought about this? Have I thought about what can happen? Because when death is just like a fantasy for us, mm. we think of drowning. We think of like falling a thousand feet, hitting the ground, you know, like the, the worst deaths imaginable. Mm. But when like death is like close to us, it's a reality for us we can see like this woman was literally like in the hospital, she took her last breath and she was gone. You know, there was no struggle, it was just there. And then one moment she was gone in the next. And all of these saints have skulls on their desks. They have, um, in, the, in the spiritual exercises, St. Francis Xavier, you know, like my namesake, he's meditating on his death, he's meditating on his grave and all of these things. And like, what was it like for them to meditate on their death in comparison for me, a suburb um, raised kid to meditate on my death? somebody who's buried bodies, somebody who's like seen family members die, comparison to like me who was like so distant from death that it's just a fantasy, it's not a reality. So I think the Lord has just made one death um, 
more tangible, not like in a morbid way, but like in a beautiful way that I can actually reflect on it now. And I can actually um, approach it without fear. Uh, not, 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 okay, I'm not like totally not afraid of death. Like that's a lie, right? But like the fear that fantasy brings, like there's a reality to death now, actually seeing it, touching it, being close to it. So I'm not afraid to go there with the Lord. And so Jesus talking to Peter about his death, Peter saying in Matthew 28, um, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Like what is Peter saying when he says that? What does he know about death when he says that? So everything about kind of like death in the scriptures has changed. All right. Well, thank you to the two of you. This has really been a great blessing to sit and listen to. It's really made the hospital formation exercise of the servants come alive in a way that it hasn't ever before. That is it for today. Next week on the podcast, Brother Thomas and Brother Andrew will be joining me as they share about the daily holy hour of the servants of Christ Jesus. As always, you can learn more about the servants of Christ Jesus, and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the servants at scjesus.org. Thank you to the two of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Ed.